Um, we're going to have to get you a Bible's over to Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20. Now, as we continue through our story, uh, going through the entire Bible, we are coming to Exodus chapter 20. And this, this chapter is probably one of the most recognizable uh, passages or stories in the life of Israel. And I, I know, you know, I promised at the beginning of the year, we're going to go through the Bible in a whole year, and it's, I'm going to be able to get through it. I know some of you who were with us at New Horizon remember the time I took 18 months to go through the Sermon on the Mount, and you're like, what's he going to do here? No, we're going to get through the whole thing, and I know we're only in Exodus, and it's already, you know, the middle of March. Uh, after today, we're going to start to fly. Uh, next week, we're going to look at Joshua. Say, so we're skipping Leviticus number, yeah, we're doing it just like your Bible reading. We're skipping over that stuff and going straight to the good stories. Then we're going to look at, then we're going to look at David. We're even going to skip Judges. Uh, and Judges has got some great stuff in there, but if I were to do Judges, I'd get bogged down on some of the stories, and some of your minds might explode by some of the weird stuff that's in there. So we're going to go to David. So we're going to start to fly uh, as we go through the scriptures. But the story we're going to look at today, it's the story, of course, of the Ten Commandments. Now, everybody knows about the Ten Commandments. You know, even if you're, if you're a believer or a, a non-believer, no matter who you are, everybody who has been alive at all knows about the Ten Commandments. But not everyone can name them, and not everyone can explain why they are so important. What's the, the significance of these 10 rules that God gives to the nation of Israel. Now, before we get into it, I want to lay the foundation, and then we're going to, we're going to try to get through it real, real fast, I promise you. Um, wink, wink. Uh, but we're going to try to get through it quick, but I want to lay the foundation. And here's the problem with some of the things we're going to look at today and we're going to study today, and even some of these old stories. We are viewing these stories through 21st century Christian eyes. We, we see these things and we kind of see these demands that God puts on them. And, you know, even, you know, when, you know, when you're going through the book of Leviticus and you get to some of the, the passages that are a, a little difficult to really understand or really even think, wow, God really said that and God really did that. You know, stories like you can't wear mixed fabric and if you do, you get stoned to death. Seems a bit harsh in, in my opinion, but that, that was what God said in the Old Testament where you can't. Eat shellfish, praise the Lord, that's gone. You can eat bacon now. You can eat bacon-wrapped shellfish, and it's good. Amen. I'm hungry. Let's uh, pray and be dismissed. Anyway, so we're looking at these stories through 21st century Christian eyes, and we may even understand why God said that. We may understand why God put that rule in place. And, of course, God was trying to show them the the impossibility of obeying the law and keeping the law complete. And the law was a, a taskmaster or a teacher to show them their need for a Savior. And so we're looking at it, we're like, oh, we understand that. Those, that's why God put those rules in place. They're not in place anymore, so it doesn't really apply to us. You know, you read in Leviticus, God says, don't read mix, wear mixed fabric. And you think, oh, well, that stunk for them. Praise the Lord, I can wear polyester now. And we don't kind of really, it doesn't matter to us anymore. So I want you to, through this story, I want you to put yourself in the mindset of a Jew during this time. You've just been freed from 400 years of slavery. For 400 years, you have not heard from God. 
There's been no prophet. There's been no priest. There's been no Abraham-type person who God spoke to when he led the nation. You've, you've been enslaved by a pagan nation, and you know about God. You know, when Moses shows up and starts talking about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you know who he was talking about. You know who these people are. You've got the history. You know the stories of God, but you don't know God. You've not heard about him. You've not experienced these stories. And so God begins to reveal himself to you. And that's why when Moses showed up and told Israel, God has led me here to, has brought me here to lead you out of captivity, lead you to freedom. They're like, yeah, whatever. We haven't heard from him in 40 years. We, whatever. Do what you're going to do. We don't believe you. And so God starts to reveal himself to them. And he sends these plagues to Egypt. And in these plagues, Egypt, uh, Israel is spared. You know, Egypt's dealing with blood, tur water turning into blood. They're dealing with fleas and flies and frogs and a lot of Fs there and hail from heaven. And they're dealing with locusts and, and just devastation. And, and Israel is sitting here watching God do that, and they're, they're spared from it. They're kept protected. So God is showing them, hey, I'm your protector. I'm your God. I'm going, I can control nature. I can control creation. I can control human people. I can control kings and kingdoms, and I can do this stuff for you. And so God is showing them how he works for them. And then he sends the, the plague of the death angel. He sends the Passover. But he, he tells Israel, I'm going to send the angel through the land. He's going to kill the firstborn of every family in every home unless you do this. You take a perfect lamb. You kill that lamb. You put the blood on the lintel on the post and you eat the lamb and you have this Passover meal. Then you'll be spared. And so Israel, they do what they're told. Probably not even really sure it's going to happen. But then the death angel comes through. The sun rises the next morning. They're all safe. Their kids are fine. But Egypt's kids are all dead. Every family in Egypt is mourning the loss of a firstborn child. So they see God protected them. God delivered them from slavery. He leads them out of slavery. And as he's leading them, there's this pillar of cloud leading them by day to protect them and guide them. And there's this pillar of fire by night. And, you know, we think of a pillar of fire and it's kind of scary, but it's not really scary to them. They are seeing the physical presence of God leading and guiding and directing them. And then he leads them to the Red Sea and they're not sure what's going to go on. And then they hear Pharaoh coming. They're panicking. They lose faith in God. And we can criticize them. I think, man, they lost faith quick. Well, we would too. Don't, don't give me, we do the same thing. So they see Pharaoh coming. They lose faith. They're not sure what's going to happen. But God says, stand still. I'm going to fight for you. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground, turn around. And as they turn around, they see Egypt. They see Pharaoh and his chariots bearing down on them. But then, and we talked about this in teen group, God, all of a sudden, the wheels of the chariots fall off. Like, how did it happen? God just went, boop, like Lego wheels. and pfft. So now Egypt is stuck in the middle of the Red Sea with these huge towers of water on either side. Their wheels have fallen off. And suddenly they realize, uh-oh. And God crashes the water down. And so Israel... The Bible says, you know, we, we kind of skip over it or don't really want to think about it. The Bible says that they saw their enemies dead on the shore. So God has delivered them from freedom, from captivity. God has destroyed their enemy. 
God has taken incredible care of them. And he's, he's doing all these things to reveal to them who he is, what his character is, how he's going to take care of them. And so now they're like, man, God protects us. God delivers us. God fights for us. Then they start going through the wilderness. And the wilderness journey takes longer than they thought it would because God's leading them a long way to show them these things. They run out of water. They get angry at Moses and say, hey, we'd be better off in Egypt because we're thirsty. So God turns the bitter water sweet and then they get hungry. And so God sends manna from heaven. And every day they would wake up and walk out of their tent and there'd be food on the ground that they could pick up and eat. We don't know what it tasted like. Bible says it tastes like little wafers of honey. I like to think it was honeycomb cereal. I love honeycomb cereal. And so I think every morning they just went out, scooped up some honeycomb, got some milk, and I could eat that stuff for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's what they did. So I think, man, God gave them honeycomb. Amen. But he fed them every day. And he told them, even before they, got, even before they get to what's happening here, he says, but you can't gather on the Sabbath day. So I'll let you gather twice as much on Friday to sustain you through the Sabbath. I'll take, even when you can't work, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to be there for you. Then they get thirsty again, so he sends water from a rock and just incredible stories. And then they come to Mount Sinai. Now, up to this point, Israel has not heard from God. They've heard from Moses. Moses has heard from God. And Moses had relay, has relayed what God has said, and they believe it and they trust him because they see what's happening. You know, when Moses said, God's going to let us go through on dry ground, raise his hand, poof, you know, water parts, you still believe the dude. So they believe Moses. They know he's talking to God, but they've not really fully experienced God's power and God's glory and God's presence. That all changes in Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, they get to Mount Sinai. <clears throat> and look, we kind of have some mistaken ideas of how God gave the Ten Commandments. You know, most of us, we think Moses went up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments, came down, delivered it to Israel. And that's what we think, right? It's not what happened. That's what happened the second time. But the first time they get the Ten Commandments, Israel hears God speaking them to them. They've not heard God. They've not experienced God. They've not really, they've seen, you know, shadows of his presence. They've seen evidence of his work, but they've never seen him. Well, then he comes to Mount Sinai and God tells Moses, says, Moses, bring the people together. I'm going to talk to them now. But he tells Moses, he goes, I want you to set up some boundaries around Mount Sinai. No one can touch the mountain. If anyone touches the mountain while I'm on there. If an animal gets away and touches the mountain, they're dead right away. No questions asked, no three strikes and you're out. Your dog gets away and runs up on the mountain, your dog is dead. So set up some boundaries, and if anyone crosses these boundaries, they're gonna die immediately. So Moses tells the people this, they set the boundaries, then he calls them together, says God's going to speak to us now. So Israel comes together to Mount Sinai, and God shows up. And God shows up in such an incredible way, it scares the nation of Israel. He doesn't show up in a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire speaking gently and, you know, hey guys, I love you. 
He doesn't even show up in a burning bush saying, Moses, hey, I need you to do something. He shows up in an incredible storm. Thunder and lightning. The Bible says it looks like Mount Sinai is on fire. And there's storm clouds and lightning and thunder and, and just, and then all of a sudden, God starts to speak. And we're not going to look at it today, but God is so terrifying that when he's done giving the Ten Commandments, Israel says, we don't want to hear that ever again. Moses, you talk to God, tell us what he says, we'll believe you. That's too scary. So put yourself, you're a Jew. You've gotten out of slavery. You've not really known about, you've not known God. You've known about God, but you've not known God. Suddenly God calls you to this mountain. You're happy. I mean, God's been good to you. God's given you manna. God's given you water. God's been a great little cloud and fire these last 40 days. And so, man, you're feeling great. You get there, you got your kids with you. You got your wife with you. We're going to meet God. And then God shows up with earthquake and fire and thunder and lightning and clouds and smoke and you're terrified and this God who you've been following these last couple months this God who's taken care of you these last couple months these God this God who is now scaring the daylights out of you says if you touch the mountain I'm on you're dead so set up some boundaries and don't cross them with that story going on, then God says, let me give you some more boundaries. Let me give you these 10 boundaries that I'm going to put on your life. And if you ever cross even one of them, you're dead. Say, man, that's kind of severe. Yeah, it is. In Leviticus chapter number 18 God's once again reminding Israel of these commandments, and he says, Obedience to these commandments brings life and liberty and freedom. But even one time of disobedience brings instant death. That's the boundary God is setting up around Israel. Here's these rules. And look, when we look at them, you're like, well, they're not so bad. They're not serious rules, but there's some some serious implications with them. And God says, look, hey, you obey these 10 little simple rules. You'll live a long, happy life. I'll take care of you. But if you break one, one time in your life, just once, you cross this border just a little bit, you're dead. No questions asked, no trial, no mercy. You disobey, you die. And it, it sounds extreme, but disobedience bringing swift and sudden death is seen throughout the entire Bible. You know, in Numbers, there's a man. He wakes up one Saturday morning, a Sabbath day. He wakes up and he doesn't have enough kindling for his fire. He forgot to gather, so he just goes out to get some sticks to start a fire. No big deal, right? They bring this guy before God and says, hey, you said to honor the Sabbath and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy and not work on the Sabbath. And this guy was getting some sticks for us fire. What do we do with him? And God says, stone him to death. No questions asked. No, uh, well, you know, I got, 
Learn your lesson. Next week, be sure to get some on Friday. He goes, no, kill him. He broke the law. He has to die. In the Garden of Eden, remember what God told Adam and Eve? Say, hey, you can do, you can eat anything you want to. You can enjoy all the fruit, all the herbs, all the vegetables, but don't eat of this tree. Because the day you eat of it, I'm going to be real upset with you. And we're going to have to go to time out. And we have to talk some things out. And it says, because the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Disobedience brings death. What about Lot and his family? In Genesis 19, God comes to Lot and says, hey, we're going to destroy the city, try to get him out of there. And so Lot, the great godly Lot who's in the hall of faith, has to be dragged out of Sodom because he doesn't want to leave. And as they're dragging him out, fire starts raining down from heaven to destroy the city. And God told him, said, don't look back. Now, he didn't say don't look back or this will happen. He just said, don't look back. Lot's wife looks back. And can you blame her? She's got friends there. She's got two married daughters there. We don't know if they got kids or not. Her life is there. So she turns back, and you know, it's like, oh, she turned back because she was, no, she may have been upset or mourning or weeping, but she turns back to look at what's happening to the people she knows and loves, and pillar of salt immediately. And Lot, man, he goes in the mountains, commits horrible sin with his daughters, and he's called just and righteous in the New Testament. Why? Because he didn't look back. Disobedience brings death. Second Samuel David and the Israelites have gone. They've, the ark has been captured for years. They go, they capture it back from the Philistines, and they're, they're bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. They're bringing their ark back to the Holy of Holies, and they're happy, and, they're having a great time. and it's on a cart, and they're bringing it back, and they, they hit a rough spot. And the, the ark of the covenant, the place where God resides, the mercy seat is there. The Ten Commandments are in it. The, the rod of Aaron's that butted is in it. It starts to tip over. So a guy named Uzziah, he reaches out just to, just to steady it. He doesn't want the ark to fall over. He doesn't want it to maybe break. Because, yeah, it's, it's covered in gold, but it's just wood. It's old. So he's like, we got to protect the ark. So he reaches out to steady it. And as soon as he touches it, God kills him dead. That'd say, well, you know, he was, he was trying to help. No, God said, I told you don't touch the ark, and if you did, you die. I don't care what the reason you disobeyed for was. Disobedience brings death. And a lot of times we like to think, well, that's the Old Testament God. The Old Testament God was kind of an old cranky guy who, if you messed with him, man, he's swift judgment. But now we serve the New Testament God. We're in the, we're in the time of grace and Jesus is a lot more temp is not a lot, lot less temperamental than the Old Testament God. Remember the story of the book of Acts? Couple sell some land. They give the some of the money to the church, which is no big deal. They could have given all or not, they could have given whatever they wanted to. It's an offering. They sell the land, they give an offering to the church, but when they come in, they're like, hey, we sold the land and we're giving you all the money. But they weren't given all the money. They were given most of the money. Remember what God does to them? Kills them. Dead. Right there. Oh, we're giving all the money. Poof, you're dead. 
So what's the point of that? You better increase your offering. No, that's not the point. Or is it? I'm not real sure. The point of these seemingly drastic, harsh stories are to show us God's demand on us. God demands perfection. God demands ultimate purity and righteousness. He demands perfect obedience to his law. You know, we're not used to that. Because look, we all know the speed limit on, you know, right over, on 581. The speed limit's 55. We know that, right? How many of y'all actually drive 55 on 581? No, you do not. If you're, if you're driving 55 on 581 between Valley View and Colonial, you're going to get run over. Because they're going 80 to 85. They're just flying. And we're used to, oh, I'm, I'm just going with the speed of traffic. You get pulled over and you can tell the cop, oh, well, you know, I was just... And maybe he'll be kind and say, well, that's okay. You know, I understand you're going with the flow of traffic. Just keep it, keep it slow next time. You know, keep, you know, just slow it down. If that were God and you were going 55.1 miles an hour, God says you're guilty right now. No questions asked. I don't care what your excuse is. Perfect obedience to every law. Habakkuk says that God is so pure that he can't even look on evil because it offends his purity. See, our problem is we, we look at sin from a human perspective. Murder is bad. Picking up sticks on Saturday because you forgot to get it on Friday, that's no big deal. We also tend to measure our, the act of wickedness based on who it's against. If I get mad at something and I, I, I lose my temper and I kick the wall, it's not a big deal, right? I get mad and I kick a dog. It's a little worse, right? I get mad and I kick a baby. Now I'm going to jail, right? I get mad and I kick the president. I know what you're thinking. Yay, no. <laughs> I get mad and I kick the president. If I'm lucky, I'm surviving, but I'm probably going to be killed by secret service. Same action. All I did was kick something. Kicking a wall, no big deal. Kicking a dog, yeah, don't do that. Kicking a baby, you're going to jail. So the wickedness depends on who the action is against. All right? Every sin we commit is against a perfectly holy, righteous God. So no matter how severe it is in your opinion to God, you have violated his righteousness and his purity and his holiness. And he is so pure and so holy and so righteous, any violation demands instant judgment. So, that's the foundation of the Ten Commandments. Get your head around that. Thou shalt not kill. No big, no, no, no. We're going to go through these. And I want you to, as we're going through them, I want you to think, well, have I ever done that? Have I ever done that? Have I ever done that? I'm going to give you the cheat sheet. Yes. <clears throat> so we've all done them. We've all broken all ten of them. And you're, as a Jew, 
hearing these from God, and he is telling you, violate one of them. One time. No matter how severe it is or how, violate one command, one time, and you're dead. That's what they're hearing from God. So he is telling them to, to avoid judgment, to have fellowship with God. They have to have perfect obedience. Say, why God's doing this? Because, look, we know the story. We know humanity. There's no way they can keep these. There's even the simple ones. Thou shalt not lie. We're going to see how, yeah, I can't even keep that one. So why is God putting these demands on them? Because, remember, he's revealing his character to them. And he is showing them that he is a holy, righteous God that demands perfection. Now, for us, we're like, well, we got it in Jesus, and we're going to get to that. To them, they had to put their faith that he was going to come. So when we, we look at these commandments, I want you to see if you're following them. And remember, violate one at all. Instant judgment. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at these. Look at the first one here. Exodus 3, starting in chapter 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So in first commandment, have no other gods before me. Now, can you say, because I know, again, 21st century Christians, we're looking at it saying, well, I, I, don't, I only worship God. You know, I don't have, I don't, I'm not Buddhist or Hindu where I worship and all these other, I got one God. That's my God. That's who I serve. So I'm good on that one. It's not what he's talking about here. It's not only what he's talking about here. He is asking them to never, ever, ever put anything in their life before him. Nothing should be as important in their life as their relationship with God. So can you honestly say, my entire Christian life, from the day I accepted him as my Savior until now, God has been preeminent in my life every single second of every day. Okay? Has he been the most important thing or the most high exalted thing in your thoughts all the time? In your words? In your affections? In your actions? Let's put it this way. What do you, is the thing that you get most excited about, I'm talking most excited about, is it his word? Or is it something else? Look, I struggle with this. I am very, very, very upset today because UVA got kicked out of the ACC tournament and may not make the NCAA. Duke too. Which you know what that, you know what that means, John, this year doesn't count. So if UVA doesn't, we're three, we're three champs three years in a row. Amen, let's keep it going. But uh, I was excited about watching UVA defend their championship. Do we get that excited about God's word? I, mean, I remember when they, when they won, me and April were watching at our house on our back deck because I didn't want to keep the, wake the kids up. And we were watching streaming, and so we were like 15 seconds behind, so my phone is off. 
because I don't want someone texting me going, oh, too bad, or hey, congrats. So my phone is off. I'm not looking at Facebook. I'm, I'm watching the game. And man, when they won, I just, I, I woke my neighbors up, but I didn't care. I'm just like, woohoo, yeah! I've never done that when I get to read the Bible. I've never gotten up in the morning and go, woohoo, I get God's word! That's what God means when he says, have no other gods before me. His word, his a relationship with him should be the most important thing in our life. When we look at our life, are we more excited about coming to his house to hear his word? Or are we more excited about that new TV show coming on this week? Basketball game. Now, if you can't answer yes to those questions, then you're probably guilty of breaking the first commandment. That means you're doomed. This is not a feel-good message, by the way. This is not a, God loves you. No, no, this is a, wow, we're in trouble kind of message, all right? So, first commandment, have another God's woman. Second commandment, look at Exodus chapter 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, or the Lord thy God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, <clears throat> and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So second one, this one a lot of times gets wrapped in with the first one, but they're two different ones. Have no graven images. Now, on the surface, we're innocent of this, right? We're, we're not... We don't have images of God or images of angels or saints that we're bowing down to and praying to. That's the Catholics. They got the images of Mary and the angels. They worship and bow down. That's them. They're guilty of this. We're not. We're okay. But this commandment isn't just about having statues that you pray to. It's about reshaping God into what you want him to be. It is believing things about God that aren't true because it makes you feel better about yourself to believe those things. It's believing, you know what, God, he doesn't really care about my sin as much as he does, because so, my sin's not that bad. You know, I just told a little white lie, just, you know, did this little thing. That's no, I didn't kill anybody. I'm not blaspheming the Holy Ghost. I'm not, you know, spreading false gospel. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. So God doesn't care about my sin as much as he does someone else's. It's trying to make God act in a way that he says in his word he will not act that way. Let me explain. Here's like, here we go. Well, you ever thought, well, you know, I sinned, but it wasn't murder or adultery, so it's not that big a deal, so I probably don't have to ask forgiveness for it. God says all sin demands us asking forgiveness all sin demands us repenting, which means turning from our sin and stopping what we're doing. So when we have that besetting sin that it's okay, you know, it's not that big a deal. My besetting sin or my shortcoming isn't such a big deal. So I don't really got to stop doing it. God says, no, no, no. Any, any violation, no matter how much we think it's a huge deal, any violation is a violation against a righteous, holy, perfect God and demands confession, forgiveness, and forsaking that sin. That's making God into something he's not. It's 
making God okay with some sins and not other sins. That's breaking the second commandment. Here's, here's what I heard. I've heard a lot. Well, you know, preacher, I'd be more faithful to church, but I feel closer to God in the woods. I feel closer to God on the lake than I do in church. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay that, that I'm okay with that. Well, you know, that's great, but now you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping the image of God. God didn't say, you know, not forsaking the assembling of yourself on a lake to praise me for my creation. God said not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. So look, if y'all want to start a bass fishing church, we'll do it. But when you're like, I feel closer to God in nature than I do in church, you're worshiping nature instead of worshiping God. You're worshiping the image of the creator, not the creator. Now this also deals with idol worship, putting anything in a position in your life that's higher than God, so it's very similar to the first. But can we say that we've never broken this one? We've never wished that God would act in a way that was contrary to what he says he'll do in his word. Here's the third commandment. Look at verse number seven. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, so third one, don't take that name in vain. Now, this has nothing to do with someone saying GD, or not a whole lot to do with it, all right? That's what we like to think on. Oh, he, he took the Lord's name in vain. That's a big one. That's not what he's really hinting at here. Now, I don't think you should do that. It's vulgar and it's disrespectful, but that's not really what Moses is talking about or what God is talking about. This has to do with how highly we regard the name of God. Here's what it is. It is taking the name of the Lord in salvation, but not living up to his name. Not living in a way that honors and glorifies his name. It is saying you are a believer, but living in a way that brings shame and reproach to the name of God. Living in a way that hurts his name with the lost world. It's, it's calling yourself a Christian and not obeying him completely. So can you honestly say, since the day you got saved, you have completely lived up to the name Christian. You've never said something in the heat of anger that you shouldn't have. You've never, you know, when you're upset or when you're hurt, lashed out to hurt someone because they hurt you. You've never posted something on Facebook or social media to jab at someone and make them feel bad. You've never done that. You've never, not one time in your life, had a Jesus fish on the back of your car and driven in a way that's not very Christ-like. Say, well, Jesus would do that. No, he wouldn't. Jesus would let that idiot in who saw the, you know, road, lane ends in three miles, saw it three miles ago, but rushed up to try to get there, and he's trying to get in front of you. Jesus would let him in. Jesus wouldn't box him out and be like, you, you should have gotten over what I did. Say, so how do you know I do that? Because I do that. That's why, I, that's why me and John are not allowed to have New Grace Baptist Church stickers on our car. Because we don't want people thinking, what about that? No, we, wear, we, we put other church stickers on our car. 
make them look bad. But can you say you've, you've always lived up to the name of Jesus? <clears throat> Here's another one, number four. Look at chapter number eight, or verse number eight. For remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested in the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Now, there's a lot of great truth in the Sabbath law that I've done a lot of study on, and it's, it's incredible. And there's a whole series on Sabbath rest. Here, God wants you to rest, all right? God wants you to refresh and take some time. And, you know, there's nothing godly about working 80 hours a week and never seeing your family and, you know, putting yourself in an early grave. There's nothing godly about that. You know what's godly? Say, I'm going to take a day off. I'm going, to, I'm going to take a week off this year, and I'm going to take my, and we're just going to relax and refresh. And, you know, that's, that's godly right there. But it's, it's a little bit more than just, you know, take a vacation. Part of the Sabbath was trusting God to provide for you. You were giving God complete control to provide for you because you couldn't provide for yourself at that day. You couldn't go out and gather food, so you trusted God to take care of you. And it goes even, there's the Sabbath year where you had to trust God to provide for you, where you, a year where you couldn't harvest your fields, you couldn't plant your field, your fields had to lay fallow. You could do no farming that whole year. You had to trust God to provide for you in the year before enough to carry you through. So later, God instituted the Sabbath year, and then, of course, the, the day of, a, of the year of Jubilee. And God provided enough on the sixth year to provide for you that year. So remembering the Sabbath, it's about remembering to pause your life, to worship God, and to trust God. But it goes a little deeper. This is mainly about giving to God what belongs to him. Two things God has given you that he asks some back. Time and talent and treasure. God said, I gave you all the time this week. Seven days, 24 hours a day, I gave it to you. I want one day back. Where you pause and you, you think, now, that doesn't include the stuff where it needs, so you can't say, oh, I don't got to read my Bible except one. No, 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 no. There's daily where God says, I gave you 24 hours, give me some of it every day, pray to me, morning, noon. So there's, there's that. But God says, one day, just one day a week, I want you to shut everything out, shut everything down, say, God, there's a lot I could be doing today. I could be sleeping, I could be catching all yard work or housework or whatever, but God, I'm going to take today, I'm going to give it to you and worship you. No matter, my boss says, you got to come into work because we got to work overtime. Nope. And here's, here's my issue with a lot of believers. If, if you were a Muslim, or I've seen a seven-day Adventist, and you get a job and you tell your boss who just hired you, I will not work on Saturday, that's my day to worship God, or that's my day to worship Allah, they're not going to say anything. They're going, okay, great, you know, no Saturdays, you will never work on That's your day. But we as Christians, we're scared to go to those bosses and say, I'm a believer, Sunday's my day to worship God. 
and I will not work. Oh, well, then they're going to fire me. Well, then you got a lawsuit, but it also goes back to, do you trust God to provide for you when you're obeying him? Do you trust God enough to say, God, I need this job. Uh, it, it helps me. But Lord, if, if they fire me, you're going to take care of me. You're going to provide for me. I'm going to trust you to do for me what I can't do. It also talks about the first fruits of our resources through our tithes. And our, so can we honestly say, since the day we got saved, we've always kept this commandment. We've remembered the Sabbath. Here's the fifth. Some of these we're going to fly through because they're obvious. You know, don't lie. Obvious, isn't it? No, it's not. We're going to get to that too. Number five, honor your parents. Look at verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that the days may be long upon the land which the Lord God gaveth thee. So this commandment, it comes with a promise from God. Obey this commandment, God will increase your days, which also means disobey this commandment, God will decrease your days. So again, this goes further than just, you know, obeying your parents and saying yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir. Although, let me be honest, the younger generation doesn't do that enough. So we've, we've let our kids get away from being polite. I'm guilty of it too. Parker, he, we, we drilled it in his head. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No. We've drilled it in Connor's head. He gets it. Lexi, she don't get it. I'll say, hey, do this. All right. What? Yes. What? She said, yes, sir. Say, oh, you just want her to treat you like a king. I want to have respect for her elders. I want her, and to me, I say yes, sir, no, sir, to people who, aren't even, who are younger than me. I go to a store, and someone's behind the counter, and they ask me a question, I'm going to say yes, sir, or no, sir, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am. It's just respect. It's just politeness, right? And we've lost that in the young. A, that's not what it's about, though. It's a little bit about that, but it's a little bit more. It has to do with how you respond to authority in your life. All authority, and it begins at home. The spirit of this commandment is dealing with how you, throughout your life, respond to every authority God has placed in your life. God, your parents, your teachers, your bosses, the police, government officials, our governor... Do you honor our governor or do you call him an idiot? Well, he is an idiot. I know, but we got to honor him. So do we honestly obey this commandment? How do, and it's not just how we act publicly, but it's about how you feel about them. You know, you may not like everything our governor says or does or implements, but you know who put him there? Richmond, no, God. God allowed him to be put in that position. Now, I saw Northern Virginia. Okay, but who created Northern Virginia? Who put all the liberals in there? God did. God placed him in control. So when we disrespect the authority God has put over us, we're disrespecting God. Well, I don't agree with his position. I don't either. God doesn't either. But you can disagree and not be disrespectful. You can disagree with your parents 
and not be disrespectful to your parents. And look, this goes all through life. And look, some of you are great at respecting and honoring this. I know because you're old and you're still here. Brother McCormick keeps his commandment. So how do you know? Because he's still here. He's like, I shouldn't have obeyed. I, you know, I obeyed my parents. I obeyed my, I honor my parents. And so God's given me the length of days. So, you know, with that song, only the good die young. No, the disrespectful die young. The good live long lives. So this is, a, this is what we promise. So have you, throughout your life, completely obeyed, honored, respected every authority in your life? Here's a, the sixth one, verse number 13. Thou shalt not kill. Pretty self-explanatory. Don't murder. Now, you look at the Hebrew, it's murder. It's not kill because people are like, well, but God said, you know, send Israel to kill a bunch of people. And what if you're in the army and you got to kill the enemy? What if you're a police officer and someone tries to kill you and you have to shoot back? And what if someone breaks in your home, you can't kill them? No, no, no. It's don't murder. So if someone breaks in your home to try to hurt you, scripturally speaking, you have every right to shoot them. That God says you can. Now, I tend, I, I, I agree with this, but at my house, I have several guns that will kill you dead, dead. But the one I use in case someone tries to break in, but ain't nobody breaking in my house. I got 54 dogs that if, if, if a raccoon burps across the street, they're going nuts. But if one day all the dogs are deaf and somebody comes in, I have a, I have a, a, a 410 loaded with birdshot because I don't want to shoot through my wall and kill one of my kids, but, you know, you come in my house and get a face full of birdshot, you ain't going to die, but you're going to run. And if you don't run, that's when I have the other ones like, okay, we'll just finish you off. So that's not what it's talking about. Saying, you know, don't protect yourself. It's saying don't murder. Now, hopefully we can all say we've obeyed this one. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands just because I don't want to know. But not so fast because Jesus changed it. Jesus didn't make it quite so easy. Jesus said, if you hate someone, or, so, and it didn't say if you hate someone without cause. He says, if you hate, someone mistreated you. Someone abused you. Someone hurt you. And you hate them. Or, if someone hurts you, and you wish something bad would happen to them, you've murdered them. You've already killed them in your heart. Not defended yourself, you have murdered them in your heart. I was talking to one teenager about this years and years ago, years ago, and I talked about this. I said, if you even think it, you've already done it in God's eyes. He goes, well, I guess might as well just go do it. No, it's not what he's saying. He's saying, guard your heart. I've not murdered anybody. You ever have bad feelings towards someone? You, someone you just don't like, and you're like, man, I, I wish. You know, and I've done this, that guy who... You're on a back road, two-lane road, and he's tailgating you, and then he finally zips around you. And you think, man, I hope that guy ends up in a ditch. And then two miles later, he's in the ditch, and you're like, woo I killed that guy. Not literally. So if police watching, he's alive. But in my heart, in God's eyes, I murdered him. So can we, we can say we've, not only physic, we've never physically murdered someone, but we've never even had hateful thoughts towards someone. All right, seventh one. Verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, you may think you're good, but Jesus took this a little further. He messed it up for us again. He said, 
that if you ever, and look, you're maybe like, well, I'm not married, so I'm not guilty. Not so fast. He says, if you ever looked at someone who wasn't your spouse with lust in your heart, say, what does that mean? You look at, wow. Look at that. I'm not going to go too far because April's going to give me a bad look. But you look, look, and look, you can't help somebody walking in front of you dressed inappropriately, a girl or a guy, where you, you know, you, you just, you're, you're, you can't help because look, the world we live in, you can't drive, you can't, you know, drive down the street without seeing billboards of people dressed immodestly. You can't help what you see. You can help what you linger on. All right? One person said it this way, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. So it's not, oh, that's okay. It's, oh, oh. That, Jesus said, if they're not your wife, they're not your husband, you've committed adultery. Now, do it to your wife. I do it to April all the time. She's so like, whoa. But I can, because she's my wife. Anybody else I can't do that with. So can you honestly say, I've never had immodest or impure thoughts about someone that lingered too long that wasn't my husband or wasn't my wife. Now, I know you're going to say yes because your spouse is there, but in your heart, be honest. Here's the eighth one, verse 15. Thou shalt not steal. Again, self-explanatory, don't steal. Now, this, again, not so easy. This is taking anything that doesn't belong to you. Money, property, Credit for a job well done. Time from your boss. You, you should be working, but you're watching Facebook or YouTube. You're stealing from your boss. Tax deductions. Now, I know the government's going to misuse your money anyway. It's taxing. They're going to use it for stuff that ain't right anyway. So if I lie, if I fudge the numbers just a little bit, I can get a little bit more back. That's no big deal. No, you have stolen from the government. Well, it's the government. God doesn't care. You've stolen. It's breaking the other commandment. Here's, a, here's one. You ever downloaded a song that you didn't pay for? How many, some of you younger kids, but Napster, y'all remember Napster? You could download Napster. Yeah, oh, it's no big deal. It's just file sharing. No, it's not. It's stealing. Or here's one I've done a lot, and it's probably you've done a lot too. You, I, mean, I don't do it, but yeah, I have. You buy, a, you buy a computer program or someone buys a computer program, they put it on their computer and then they give it to you and you put it on your computer. Well, you didn't. They, they, they charged them. They paid for one use. You're using it on multiple computers. That's stealing. Well, Microsoft's a multi-billion dollar corporation. Doesn't matter in God's eyes. You're stealing. Ever watched a movie off of a pirated website you didn't pay for? TV show that you're something you're not paying yeah, use someone else's Netflix login. Say, oh, okay, I can't, I do that. Look, I used to, I don't now. I, my, I, I, my family uses my login. They're stealing, but I'm not, right? My sister, she's even got Hulu, and she's like, oh, you can use my Hulu. I pay for my own Hulu. So, but they, they can steal, so they're, they're in trouble. I'm good but I've, I have used other people's login from time to time. So, also has to do with giving people everything that they're entitled to. If you're paid to work 40 hours, work 40 hours. Don't take an extra long lunch. 
Don't cut. Now, look, if your boss is okay with it, you know, I'm not saying, you know, your boss says, hey, it's early, you can go home on Friday. No, I need to. If your boss gets permission, you know, you can. But don't just like, I'm going to cut out early and not tell anybody. I'm going to do whatever I want to do to not cut any, hurt anybody. Don't steal. I need to hurry up here. But y'all are sinners. I mean, me too, okay? <laughs> now, uh, ninth one. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So number nine, don't lie. Now, I shouldn't have to go over this one, but it's on the list, so I'm going to have to make us feel bad about this as well. Have you ever lied about something or someone even stretched the truth a little bit to make yourself look better? You know those fish, man, the fish that got away was this big. That was that big. Or it didn't even get away. You never caught it. You're stretching the truth. I'm just stretching the truth. No, you're not. You're lying. You ever exaggerated the truth or, you know, while telling a story or held something back to stay out? I'm not lying. I'm just not telling the whole truth. You know, when the police officer pulls you over and says, do you know how fast you were going? You know how fast you were going. No, officer. My speedometer must be broken. Well, I'm going to tell the truth. Give me a ticket. You earn the ticket. I've done that too. You know what? One time I had a car. It was... It was so bad. I didn't have any rearview mirrors because they fell off. My lights, brake lights didn't work. My door was welded shut. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a mess. And I had a police officer pull me over. He had to chase me for like two and a half miles, not because I was running from him. I didn't see him. I got no mirrors. And he finally gets my attention. I pull over. And he's like, do you know why I pulled you over? I could honestly say no, because there's a lot you could have chosen. And I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to go through the list and give you options. So I just, nope. But when you do know why you're pulled over, you say, oh, I have no idea, sir. Yeah, you do. That's, that's bearing false witness. That's lying. Or ever tried to hide something to keep people from thinking poorly about you? So we can, I've been honest 100% of the time, okay? I don't think we can say that. Last one. Don't covet. Look at verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. This is the hardest one for everybody to obey. It has to do with being content with what God has given you. And not looking at your neighbor and saying, well, God gave him a 2021 Ford F-150, and he gave me a 1967 Pinto. I wish I had that. Be content with your Pinto. Say, how come God won't give it to me? Because he can't trust you with the nice car. He can only trust you with the Pinto. That's, that's why I'm broke. God's never going to let me win the lottery. I don't play the lottery. But God's never going to let me win the lottery. Why? Because he knows I'll be terrible with it. So he keeps me posed so I can rely on him. But I can't look at my neighbor and say, man, I wish I could have that. No, God's given me what God thinks I can handle. It's being jealous of someone else's house, someone else's job, someone else's family, someone else's cars or talents. Or re and look, it's hard to do today's culture because Facebook and Instagram, people put and they, they have these. And let me tell you a secret here. Everything you see on Facebook and Instagram where people are like, oh, hashtag blast, look at all. They're lying. 
They're showing you the best and filtering it and editing it so it looks great. They're not showing you the background where their kids are yelling and fighting and screaming, the dog's puking on the carpet. They're not showing that. But you're jealous of that. That is coveting. It's always wanting the next best phone, the next best gadget. You always have the best, and if someone has something better than you, you're jealous of it. Have you always been content with what you have, or have you found yourself wishing for something better in some area? Now, how'd you do? Ten questions. How many got said, I can say, I have obeyed all ten of them my entire life? All right, no one's a liar. Good. Because that would have. How many of y'all are like, I broke all of them at some point in my life? Me. It's like, I, I broke them all. Sometime in my life, I've broken them. Well, remember, either you obey every single one of them all the time, or you're doomed. So we're doomed. Right? God tells Israel, I'm going to set some boundaries, cross them, and you die. Really uplifting message, right? Let's pray. No. But that's why Paul in the New Testament says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Because we had no hope of keeping the law perfectly. I do have good news, though. That's the point. That's what God wants us to see. He wants to see, he wants us to see our failures, our shortcomings. Our faults. He wants us to see how sinful and wicked we are. Compared to his holiness, Isaiah says, our holiness, our righteousness is filthy, disgusting rags. Well, I try real hard. Doesn't matter. Compared to God, your righteousness is disgusting. Obedience to these laws can't change you because you can't obey them with your whole heart. They show your need. So the passage, the point, is to show us that we're just a bunch of hopeless, dirty, filthy, guilty sinners. No. The point is deeper than that. When we see our sinfulness, we are supposed to see God's holiness. And when we see our sinfulness, we, what we typically do when we see how sinful we are, what we try to do is we try to diminish how holy God is. But God never does that. He gives us another solution. And we see it in, in Numbers 21. I'm going to run through it real quick. In Numbers 21, Israel has broken one of God's commandments. They've coveted. Now, they've broken all, the rest of them too, but they're, they're coveting. So God sends serpents, snakes, into the camp. They're called fiery serpents. They start biting people and people are dying. That's the rule. Break the commandment, die. But they cry out for mercy. And so God tells Moses, take a serpent, make a, a brazen serpent, a bronze serpent, lift it up. And when people are bitten, they don't got to get, they just have to look in the direction of the serpent and they'll live. They were putting their faith in the fact that that raised up serpent was going to save me from the punishment of my sin. That's why Jesus says, like, the serpent was raised up in the wilderness. So will I be raised up. See, God didn't diminish the punishment of their disobedience. They didn't cry for mercy and God says, okay, the snakes won't kill you. They'll just make you sick for a day or two. No, God said, they're going to kill you. But here's a solution. 
Here's a solution to the death. Look and live. Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill it. You know what, when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fill the law, you know what he's saying? He goes, I didn't come to get rid of the law, I came to completely obey the law my entire life, and he did. Jesus did what we could not do. He kept every commandment, every second of every day, his entire life. But then he died for our sins. He told God, I've done what was necessary. I've kept the law. And now, as a perfect, sinless sacrifice, I will die for their sins. I'll pay their sin debt. We can never pay it. So he paid it for us. See, the story of the Ten Commandments, it shows us how wicked we are, how short we fall, but it also gives us hope. Hope that God will do what we could never do. Hope that God would live a perfect, sinless life and die in a place to, to pay for our sin debt and he would rise again three days later to reconcile us to God the Father. He would do what we could never do. So can you say that throughout your life you have always obeyed all the commandments 100% of the time since the day you got saved or since the day you were born. Can we say we've always done that? If we can't, there's hope that Jesus did for us what we could never do. So if you're here this morning and you say, well, preacher, I'm saved. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. What does that mean for me? That means we need to come to God and say, God, thank you for doing for me what I could never do. And Lord, while we're at it, forgive me for all those things I did to mess up those commandments. Maybe here and you don't know God. Say, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to come forward and say, God, I know now I, I can never keep up. I can never obey your commandments. I can never do what's required. Lord, I'm a sinner condemned to hell. I've messed up. I am doomed. But I accept your gift of living a perfect life, dying on the cross for my sins and rising again to redeem me to God the Father. I accept that as payment for my sins. There's hope for us this morning. Let's thank